Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. It's Cantor. I just I want more. To, yeah, I just want more, right? Okay, okay. Let's let's can talk. We're setting up the great debate. Um, <laughs> we're setting up the debate of uh, of twelve versus sixteen ounce cans. Is there a purpose to twelve ounce cans, uh, Harry? No, they should all be 16, uh, especially the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, I actually prefer the, the classical 12 because they, they fit perfectly in a normal uh, beer glass, like a beer drinking glass. And so if you have 16, then you always have like a little bit at the bottom that then you have to like refill after like 30 seconds. Ah, uh, yes, a, a classic so. stupid arcane reasoning for no, it's just Aaron like, look, wanting I, an inferior product. Us, those who really drink, uh, you know, beer uh, with a passion put their, their glasses in the freezer to make them all chilly Motherfucker, you're literally and constantly then, talking about so how much you like shitty beer. You're like, oh, so I, I you... love shitty beer. I love a no, shitty beer after work. I That's what I'm all about. Beer. I'm Aaron. I have an appreciation for beer on all ends of the spectrum, right? I like the really Except fancy Except if it's stuff. in a 16-ounce can. I can drink can. a Miller Lite. What do you have no over there, Cody? No, I love no, Tall Boys. It's just 12 is better. I was originally... I was just going to drink coffee and I'll water like a, like a, a boring Monday early evening person go. I am. But uh, I've, mm. I've got very little alcohol left. I forgot I got a few few onions left. Ooh, is that grapefruit My- flavored? It is. Excellent. Uh, excellent. Yeah. excellent. I've, I have no keen flavor preference. I, if anything, I have a slight preference for the 12 ounces because look at, look at how big my hand looks in comparison. You don't get this with a 16 ounce. I guess uh, I, I'm not worried about now. how big my hands look relative to the things I'm holding. Uh, I, 100%. I just never had to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the compromise here mm. is we go back to apparently uh, Murphy's, Bush, uh, Old Milwaukee used to come in 14 ounce varieties. I think uh-huh. this is the world we what? need. The golden uh, ratio. Google what is a 14 ounce, ounce can. can. It, well, it's hard to tell because there are a few pictures of it next to a hand, but yeah, it's about what you'd expect. It's like the $2 bill of beer oh, cans. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, like the. the the fucking can ass can it looks yes, like a, it looks like Campbell's it looks soup. like some sort of chemical yes or like soup or something comes yeah out. it looks like borax yeah, is gonna pour out of there it's that yeah, sounds pretty good actually yeah it does. I know. I, you just I know do. these cans were poisoning high schoolers yes. all across the country <laughs> oh, like, yeah. we're drinking rocks for sure yeah. yes. i'm really i've always been really excited about like in a hundred years what is the lead poisoning of our generation going to be right like like if if humanity still exists in 200 years they'll probably be like oh we know what causes cancer now and it's literally interacting with plastic in any capacity and they'll just be like wow those people were really fucked back then yeah. <laughs> i want to remind people that harry started that sentence with i'm always excited by <laughs> i am yeah no i'm really excited to think about the the apocalyptic things we don't know we're living through right now i think microplastics are probably a big one right the, My, the fact uh, that like your gut is full joke, of that yeah. shit yeah. Yes. There's become there's a bunch of research is showing that like PFAS. But Diana is, is a my wife is a big uh, uh, she looks into all this stuff. But yeah, a lot of PFAS chemicals and like plastics and shit. Just so many diseases and shit caused yeah. by, and they're like in literally anything. Right. Well, the, that's, it, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's what it's I'm like saying. Is that like exactly how we feel you know? about like yeah. asbestos and lead? There's going to be like I. 
like 12 products that are exactly the same way, like literally 50 years from now. And we'll be 70 year olds that are like incredibly infirm and our grandchildren will be like fucking Kryptonians flying through the planet. Yeah, exactly. And they'll just be like, actually, yeah, humans have always been able to fly. It's just that uh, you um, touched steel once when you were a child. um, And now you're the way that you are. And we'll be like, well, shit, I guess we should go back and it'll be too late. Those microwave TV dinners really screwed exactly. me over. On yes. the note of uh, on the note, uh, Snowfers was was pretty good. On the note of unlocking latent abilities and memories, uh, thank you so much for listening to Try Love. It's a literal run to have a podcast where we talk about movies we saw, people we met, and the things we drank at or near the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilon Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org, where you can get tickets to showings to movies like the one we're about to talk about today. Um, I'm Jason Daphnis. Where are my glasses? And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Is my face still looking good? I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I admit it. I killed that baby. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name is Aaron. Uh, I forgot to get a quote. You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. I think that's okay in this Sorry. case. Um, mine was it was yes. like a slant, uh, slant quote, so to speak. Um, Seems like the heroic trio in this case were the three folks who remembered their quotes. Yeah, you broke the rule, though. Good joke, but you broke the rule. Today's movie is the second. That's in a, a series. made up dumb rule. Continue, Jason, please. <laughs> oh, so it's made up and dumb when you break it, huh? <laughs> I see. I see how it is. Whenever I break it, I say it's made up and dumb. Hearing a I've lot never of chastised anybody else break for breaking that, that rule. I all don't the know time. about that. I don't <laughs> know about that. How would you know you never go back and listen to the episodes? How would you tell? I steal from my mom's purse. Okay. Uh, today's movie is the tri- second in a series of five films sharing a lead actress playing at the Trilon in May. Uh, you can check it out at trilon.org and in the show notes, direct link to the series there. Uh, for more on the movie itself, here is Aaron with his patented Aaron Grossman summary. Uh, and if you are listening really to Really looking episode, forward to this one, by the way. Jumped forward, just jumped forward in the timestamp notes. You got it right now. Folks, we are talking about The Heroic Trio, 1993 film, directed by Johnny Toe. Uh, the film follows three superheroes. Uh, super, they're basically superheroes, right? They're yeah, superheroes. I yeah. think that, that totally counts. Yes. Uh, in Hong Kong, uh, as they attempt to stop the unifer- how many cack? I've heard the cans crack open. <laughs> yeah, how many times have you tried to open that, that dude? Uh, so, <laughs> I had a, so I had a bad time trying to crack this open from this angle. My finger wouldn't. So I had to put it back down, and then I forgot to mute before I cracked it again. Uh, no, dude, look, if you added it to just, the soundboard, just say it. It's a good deal. My man's been playing a lot of Tears of the Kingdom, so he had like a 12-step oh, process for opening we this gonna... can. <laughs> it involved like using rockets and uh, fulcrums and whatnot, and it wasn't working very well. And then finally, he just tried to open it, and it worked. It worked. Speaking of not working very well, uh, the plans of the superheroes as they attempt to stop the... Uh, uh, the 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 mysterious evil master, uh, as as he is known as uh, Soli, who has been kidnapping babies uh, in order to provide a new emperor for China. Uh, Michelle Yeoh plays Invisible Woman. Anita Mui plays Wonder Woman, uh, Queen of the Trilon, by the way. Uh, Maggie Chung plays Thief Catcher. Uh, the film is also notable for being heavily referenced in the 1996 French film Irma Vep. Um, the film uh, has the following entry on IMDb. Under the Did You Know section, 
The UK VHS tape was cut by four seconds to remove close-up shots of children wetting themselves during an explosion scene. Boo. Really know, right? crucial <laughs> removal. Yeah, did, Aaron, you didn't see this at Trilon, but the rest of us did. No. Does, did your version have the, the pissing kid I close-ups? Saw, I, saw, okay, I saw and was very confused and frankly yeah. traumatized by this. Yeah. Uh, yes. I would say that that we always have a, a relatively fun time when in the rare occasions when we all go to the Trilon and see the film and discuss it in the courtyard afterward. Um, that those particular two cuts were the subject of um, quite a lot of our preoccupation. They really do with steal that conversation. The scene. Yeah. Uh, that was Very that upsetting. was largely what what the most pressing conversation topic we had to discuss after the movie was was the um, uh, the little cannibal yeah. boys pissing themselves as they're destroyed, and then being blown by, up <laughs> by the thief catcher's dynamite. The yes. entire conceit. I, I I full disclosure. I downloaded this movie from the Internet Archive. I'll probably leave a link in the show notes. Um, to be able to make gifts for later. Uh, and I believe they just don't have that scene in some releases of the movie. And they just go straight from like repelling down the wires into the like underworld straight to fighting the big bad guy, which is probably honestly like, an which because choice. like yeah. why in God's name would you have that scene in a, in a film <laughs> uh, in any case, like were, were there people who were really worried about what was going to become of those boys? And, and Johnny toe just wanted to make sure, Oh, they died suffering uh, was the answer to that question. They just really needed to make sure you knew uh, they were slain by Maggie Chung, and they uh, were aware of the fact that they were dying and very mortally terrified about it. These children were. It's it's positioned as a mercy killing, but it really is the most gruesome weight. Like presumably, they probably would have passed by by the methane poisoning uh, down there anyway if they just stayed long enough. If she really wanted, I don't know. It's not. It doesn't. Oh, it doesn't fit. You know, I'm sorry. Oh, this uh, maybe this is too early for um the horny corner here. But if I have to be mercy killed. Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Maggie Chung would be the one. Jesus Christ. I literally, I literally thought, like, okay, folks. I'm just, I'm just saying. The, you got everybody at home with the bingo cards. Uh, if you had Harry uh, Hornily references Maggie Chung, please uh, mark that down. Please note that uh, Harry Hornily mentioned Michelle Yeoh in these week. Those are separate spaces. So, oh, Jason, you got a bingo? <laughs> it's, Jason it's a, has a bingo. A, I get to open a second can on Mike. Um, <laughs> We're just going to be another uh, six another, or seven <laughs> attempts. Actual snaps. Somehow I will it's, reinsert it with carbon to make it explode again. It's very funny that, uh, like, I mean, that that idea that, the, like, those kids represent, though, right, about, like, growth and growing up at, like, what age your, like, personality is set and, like, can you, you know, change if you were kind of, you know, monstrous in the past. That's a thing that, like, a lot of films that we've covered have talked about that. The Enigma of Casper Hauser was a film we talked Ooh, about. The drop. idea of, like... Tabula Rasa, right? Um, and this film says, like, nah. <laughs> well, well it goes specific, <laughs> specifically if you're oh, a man. No. If you're a, if you're a woman, oh, yeah. redemption is very possible because, Which in fact, just... all of those characters were older than those boys True. when they broke out of the compound of the evil master. Which you would think would make Maggie Chung specifically being the oldest person, I believe, except for uh, Michelle Yeoh to escape from the master's clutches. Uh, certainly older than Wonder Woman. Uh, the most empathetic toward those people, but instead she literally said fuck them kids and yes. does blow them up with a stick of dynamite um, i wonder i wonder why truly it, amazing scene in I, cinema history i was quite i i don't know it really did command it's like that one interview with or rather it's like a commentary track on the thing when it goes to the scene where kurt russell is just wearing a really big hat near the beginning and he's just laughing over the commentary and he said like it really commands the scene doesn't it like that's the entire thing of that scene is like you just notice how big his fucking hat is it really is that but for this movie where it's 
it was all that I could think about for the remainder of the movie. For like the John Carpenter had to delay minutes. filming for three days because he had to find a bigger hat. He just kept coming on set with a hat, and he was like, "No, I'm sorry, Kurt, that's not big enough. Try again." Uh, it it does feel. I like that you brought up Aaron. That it feels it, to me, it's like dialectically opposed to what the rest of the movie, what the, like the a plot is trying to do. It's like these women bonded by their shared trauma and victimization by a man like brainwashing essentially by a, by a patriarchal overlord um they are able to self-determine even the, like there's that great line that they have uh, i think it's ching ching and tung tung are talking to each other and they're like holding each other at uh, off the cliff and they're like it doesn't matter what we remember memory doesn't matter it's it's who we are now it's who we've become like this is what matters we we know that once we were bonded by this thing and we will bonded be bonded by it again but freed from sort of like the supervision and, and oppression that that meant. And then like in direct opposition to that, they blow up some kids before they can like develop sentience or sapience <laughs> just, just as a quick fuck you. I don't, I don't know. It felt so strange. Cause I felt like I knew where he was going. It was this bizarre movie at a fever pitch. Most of the time, a lot of fun. We got a lot, we got to talk about a lot of the rest of this movie, but like that moment in particular just felt like almost like, almost like, you know, they drafted it and, 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 and filmed it and then didn't, it didn't need to actually be there, but they decided to go with it anyway. Um, it it just didn't sit right. I guess it's very funny to remember, but fucking bizarre to think it's actually included in the movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's actually a really interesting point about the sort of ironic distance that we are meant to be interacting with this movie on, perhaps, right? Um, and that's not consistent. It definitely fluctuates, but... That was one of the more interesting things about this movie in general to me is that I feel like as a genre exercise, it's so overblown and so over the top. I'm thinking specifically about the music. The score is is really incredible and totally mm-hmm. over the top. Um, it, it reminded me of nothing quite so much as an Obayashi movie, especially the very first scene when they're like checking out the house. I was like, this is just house. Like it felt so much like like an Obayashi movie, right? Um, and obviously, I think that there's there's a lot of other filmmakers um, all over this as well, um, you know. Uh, but um, I think that, like, it, it's really interesting, right? Because this kind of... It's, it's interesting that it came out when it did because it kind of feels like a post-ironic film in a lot of ways, right? I think maybe... I don't know that I have a lot of very interesting, like, galaxy brain takes to say about this movie, but one thing that's interesting is this feels like a movie that came out after Marvel, right? And is sort of like constructing a commentary on marvel as it is sort of applied to hong kong cinema but instead it actually came out before those things which is really interesting in the sense that it's like instead it's a commentary on sort of like um superhero genre and sort of celebrity uh in a in a strange way and um sort of like what johnny toe can do with sort of a postmodern um sort of like semi-ironic or post-ironic um take on those things with three of the greatest movie stars who ever lived. Right. And like, uh, I think that all of those things are like really conscious to the sort of like, um, compound of what this movie ends up being. I don't know. Does that make sense to you, Cody? Or what do you think? No, I think it absolutely does. And I think it's important to consider just, I don't like, digesting a movie like this definitely worth considering the i don't know the types of places this all came from johnny toe is is certainly a big part of that um the 
I don't know, like whether this is, I guess, your first foray into his filmography or not. Like he's a very, he's his style, like he's very stylized. I don't know. I'm trying to try to think of a better word, but there's always a lot of stuff aesthetically going on, whether, and there's a certain eccentricity that he always brings to his work, whether it's more kind of reined in with something I'm thinking of like exiled and Throwdown, or if he kind of puts the pedal to the floor a little bit more, um, yeah. which he certainly does here. I've yeah. always, I've always thought that like the way I describe Johnny toe is, is like, he's like, uh, he's telling John Woo to like, hold my beer and watch this. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. just sort of like somebody dared him to be more over the top than John Woo. And he was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll do it. I'll be that guy. Um, that's right. like this, this feels like, um, which is ironic because I think that this movie shares a lot of DNA with Tarantino movies in a lot of ways, but like this feels like a movie that people in movies would watch, right? Which is what everybody always says about Tarantino movies or what Tarantino himself said. Sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. That was just, uh, I thought of John Woo while you were saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's good. I mean, and it's it's important because there's, it's Johnny Toe, uh, like I feel like what he's bringing, it's, it serves as a cross section for probably a lot of filmmakers that um, came before and after him um, Tarantino and John Woo being among them more than likely. And just like putting a fine point on it, the, the sort of cockeyed angles, the, the sweeping pans, the crash zooms, the uh, slow-mo wind blowing from seemingly innocuous, illogical places. Um, Like all of that is, is here and, and it's very persistent. It's not necessarily a, Kind of like, I mean, he certainly picks and chooses his moments, but it is all like just new sensory experiences all the time. And I guess where the, the sort of the, the unfortunate component, the, um, the points, uh, the plot points of not really a plot point, but just those couple of shots of like cannibalistic kids pissing themselves. Like that is a, cer- a certain edge and a certain lack of logic that I feel like pairs well with what we're seeing visually. It was just not as, like you didn't see that edge throughout there's which isn't to say this movie is like worse off for it there's a lot of really fun um fun's a weird word to pick but i'm gonna roll with it like fun melodramatic components of like women having secret identities that they're keeping from their partners which is sort of a a fun inversion and like this is very much uh, and uh, to an extent with i I don't want to say all of johnny toast because i've only seen a handful but the style over substance component uh my first time seeing this i think i was pretty bogged down with that but this time around especially seeing it with um people in person at a theater was very much how i learned to stop worrying and love the style um featuring again Hmm. three of the most like yeah beautiful artists uh to have ever lived um so that's yeah i don't know that's 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 kind of where i'm coming from and uh, i'll hand it off to whoever's next but yeah i don't know really exhilarating experience revisiting this film Aaron, I want to talk a little bit about Sam Raimi. Was there anything you wanted to jump in with before we get there? Um, Sure. I mean, you can kind of connect it to Sam Raimi, I think. I was going to say that I think I like, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I think I kind of disagree with Harry's point about like this being post-Marvel in a way. Like, I I think this is like, um, and we've, we've chatted about this a little bit, like, I think during the Batman episode probably would have been when we did it. But like, this feels like, it, this feels like a film that would be like kind of impossible to make due to its like oh, tone yeah, that's and subject matter. True. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. Concerning like superhero movies, like before they become like so, I don't know, like institutionally like cemented, right? Where like superhero movies could kind of 
um, they were kind of fast and loose, right? And and you you got like a lot of directors like trying to like replicate like comic panels on screen and things of that nature. Um, this feels very much like that, where it feels like it takes a lot from like you know TV serials, things of that nature, from like like pre superhero stories that were kind of similar. I mean, like something like the Three Musketeers is like absolutely kind of like baked right. into this <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, obviously, right? The heroic trio. Um, and so I don't know. It's like weirdly refreshing seeing this. Like the, this, this was definitely a movie that like I probably appreciated the least out of anybody here because I didn't see it in a movie theater. Um, but like I did get the same kind of Batman feeling where it's like this does feel like such a like moment in time that like is kind of past us now in a weird way. So mm-hmm. maybe that's connected to Sam Raimi. I don't know. Maybe no, yeah, not. I think, I think it's a great on ramp to that discussion because it is like, I think his movies between, you know, I'm saying his, his um, Sam Raimi's uh, between evil dead and uh, Spider-Man were sort of like building the pieces of what would become like the multi-genre, you know, extravaganza that superhero movies just became, you know, like they had, comedy they had uh, some creepiness they had some thrills they had some romance whatever they like very few of them have actually de- delivered on that promise in the last 15 20 years but i think like looking back to a movie like dark man is a and it's not just because there's a uh, you know darkness and and uh, an invisibility component but like thematically and tonally there's so much in common between something like dark man and uh, and and the heroic trio there's just like that classic rain. Like I could not, not think of Raimi. I actually did a quick Google and very few people seem to have connected these lines this opaquely. Maybe I'm being too small brained about it, but just like the way that it's shot, the way that it like tries to, and maybe success, maybe in its, in its failure to sometimes mesh genres is like the point is an effective work in that style. You know what I mean? Um, just it, it pulls all those pieces together and it like builds one of those weird like dark man i would put in the same bucket as the early burton batmans where it's just like these are weird little movies that seem to take their own little risks and put something against a, a sacred tome of like the batman mythos of the you know uh, early his early spider-man movies too were like raimi's early spider-man movies were like sort of like that like he gets to do these weird uh experimental styles in the movie that is now you know could you imagine doing any of that in a Spider-Man movie? Not really. Um, it's the same sort of spirit that made me excited to watch. And I actually really like the, uh, the Dr. Strange movie that he made because it's bizarre and it's weird and it, and it moves really uncomfortably. And sometimes it's like, sometimes it's objectively bad, but it's like, it incorporates all those pieces. It makes all those pieces part of like the essential building blocks of the movie. And I think this movie does uh, the heroic cheer does a very similar thing where it like Cody's saying, it's, it's not necessarily like, that these pieces are in conflict with one another. It's more that like the style dictates a certain uh, like perverse strangeness to it that I think is really well embodied in Sam Raimi. Like uh, it should be said, Darkman came before this. Um, all of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies came after this. So I don't know or imagine that there was an, it was an incredible sharing of knowledge there, but it's hard to deny that that time and that place and the fact that this was made apparently, Cody, correct me on this. Uh, I feel like you would know it was made on a budget with the sequel that was released. Like, two movies on one budget is what I heard. Um, Executioners is the sequel to this movie. Yes. And I, yeah, I read that yeah. it was created along with, yeah. So just to save money, sort of like that strictures of the time and place and like what they were able to get and the sort of story they were able to tell with that money um, sort of necessitated this weird bubble of a movie that I think Sam Raimi has found or found a lot of his like success in, you know, Darkman being his first commercially, like his big budget movie. Uh, and then, you know, it was kind of, it was fairly successful 
and it gave him like his leeway to do what he wanted later in Hollywood and then gave him the reins to Spider-Man, et cetera. I think it's just like, it's funny to think this exists in the same broad sphere, even though it crosses obviously a few years and it crosses uh, many borders um, and crosses entire industries before a whole lot of that was shared, before people were meeting people from other you know, parts of the world, parts of the cinema world. Um, I think it's just really fun to think about them in the, in the same space, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I would even, um, I guess I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm more willing to connect the dots even than you are, Jason. Maybe if only, like, again, I hate to mention him again, but like through Tarantino, right? Like Tarantino was like absolutely watching these movies. Uh, he made Kill Bill, right? And like Kill Bill is is maybe indebted to no movie more than this movie, except for like maybe like the 1970s, 1960s Kung Fu serials like Bruce Prime Lee May, stuff. Bruce Lee yeah. stuff. But like very clearly, like he's like if you're if you're telling me like if if Tarantino tried to tell me that he hadn't seen this movie before he made Kill Bill Volume One, I would have been like, get the fuck out of here, right? Like there's yeah. no universe in which that happened, and like I I think like. Um, you're right, right? Like, I think Sam Raimi was doing similar things, right? Because of what Evil Dead 2 came out in like 84 or something, right? Or was it later than that? Something like that. But, um, I think they're all getting at this like really fascinating postmodern like pop art type thing that I think, um, you really well stated something that I think, are uh, not Raimi, wow, t- Toe is doing really formally in this movie that I think is fascinating, which is just this idea that, um, like, uh, what if, it's it's a sort of anti-realism that I really respect where it, where it's sort of like you're looking at this like this idea of realist filmmaking where it's like um it's actually pretty hard to establish continuity and logic of of shots in a um filmed context right like you have to be very careful about that you have to like storyboard the shit out of it to make it look like one shot to the next is actually a logical continuation of momentum and context what if you didn't have to do that right like what would that unlock for you like there are so many shots in this and this was a criticism i had at one point of this movie that i think that the um the fighting choreography in this movie is ass right like it's not actually worse than like contemporary action choreography but like you can't see any of that shit but like that it's because that's not the point right and and like similarly i don't even really think that the point in a lot of these action sequences is to communicate a continuity of flow of action in a way that is sensible right like i think very often about like the way that instead johnny toe like uses cross cuts and quick cuts not unlike peckinpah actually to just like really like unmoor us from the action that's taking place right like i'm thinking about even that first sequence where the cop like uses the vine to swing down from the house and get out to the car right it's like in one shot he is like sliding down in the next shot he's at the car the vine is around the guy's neck in the next shot and then he's on the ground in the next shot he's got the handcuffs on it's like we understand what's happening here but we are also like so aware of the um the space between shots, right? Like the fact that we're watching something that is so constructed and so like given to us. And I feel that way about this entire movie, right? Like this entire movie feels like it's taking place on a soundstage that wants you to know that it's a stage. Right. And I Mm. think that like, um, toe is doing something really similar, right? Where he's just saying like, Hey, like what if instead of worrying about like, establishing realism and trying to get you to suspend your disbelief we didn't have to fuck with that 
Like, what if instead, like, we could enhance your enjoyment of an experience through the lack of suspension of disbelief, right? By pointing toward the uh, ridiculous formalism of the entire experience, right? It's like, that's, I keep thinking of the fact that, like, this has the most obvious in, in shot wires that I've ever seen, right? Like, the very first scene we see Wonder Woman, um, you can literally just see the wires on her the entire time. Yeah. Or, like, when, when a sewer grate flies away, like, literally, you you see the wire yank it out of its place, right? And it's like, this is a guy who like knows that you're watching a movie and wants to remind you constantly that you're watching a movie because he's just like, hey, like, if like if you're not suspending your disbelief, then you're paying attention to the like the ostentatious like celebratory formalism that's on display here, and like that is in itself something that's really fun and really exciting. And like I think about that with Raimi all the time, right? Where like I think the most famous example probably is Evil Dead 2's like camera, right? Where like the camera opens, where it's like the camera is the enemy, right? Like it's it's zooming at this person, and it's like, um. You know, like you, you know, you're watching a movie uh, at that point, but it is enhancing the fear and the experience. I feel like um, the ostentatiousness here is like absolutely a part of the total equation in a way that I really um, appreciated, I guess. Yeah, no, me too. I think it's that iconoclasm, not to like switch gears, but it's that sort of like iconoclasm that sort of challenge. I'm thinking of the exact, like the scene where they're fighting. I think the character's name is Cal, like the, uh, the wordless yelling guy um, who's like the subservient, henchman. the henchman, yeah, the yeah. The, Sh- the Shenmue henchman. I forget that character's name, but the but the weirdo with with no teeth, the golem ass, yeah, the golem yeah. ass. Holy shit, he is that guy. He is the wow. Shenmue guy. That's what I was thinking when you were bopping don't, around that room, cutting. Turn off your off. camera. We're moving on, Cody. Shenmue is also an anime. It's Thank okay. You. It's okay. We can keep the camera on. Um, okay, I was going to ask, but I was too afraid I'd <laughs> it's, be. It's both. Stupid. It's both. Uh, half on, half off. Um, it's it was that time when I noticed like it's uh, it's their fight in the train depot where uh, Maggie Chung is driving a motorcycle with Anita Mui on the back and they run into a wall like they screech to a halt to the wall and they just kick off of it with the tire spinning them in like a crazy boomerang fashion all the way across the room and then it cuts to them like eloquently and deftly throwing one of Anita Mui's uh, throwing stars. And, and it's like, it, how? How it, are both it, it, of those things possible at once? Mark, exactly. Hitting the mark, exactly. And then we return to a shot of the bike still spinning, even though, like, everything as you just saw would indicate they stopped and had time to reorient and aim. I, I love that, bro. Like, I love the idea that that's very intentional. I hope very much that it is. I'm okay retconning that it is because it does, like, there's, n- I've never been able to see a movie and accept that so willingly as watching this movie. And I think that's, like, Again, not to bring Raby back into it, but like that, it it's becomes a style unto itself rather than being like, oh, this is a broken thing or this is like a subversion or a perversion of a style. This is like a new breed on its own uh, for me. But it's sort of like in that, that it set up this incredible, like the effects of, and I'll, I'll let Cody, it seems like I, my ideas have brought something to service for Cody, but I did want to eventually talk about like the weird, uncomfortable finality of death in this movie. Does that have anything to play with you, with uh, Cody? Oh man, I can't wait to talk about that because like, I fully thought that it wasn't going to be final too, right? Like they even introduce as a plot element, this idea that something's going to come back to life just so that they can not do that. Yeah. It it butts up against that style really, really strangely and uncomfortably for me that I love. Um, But I did want to give the floor to Cody in case there was anything else that you want to get out of the tank. No, for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know if I can get us there directly. Maybe, maybe this will be like something of a stepping stone, but I I can't help, but 
think back on and a couple of you have brought it up but just the the fight choreography and just the nature of combat and then i guess how that feeds into the rest of this production because i found myself thinking about that this time as well didn't so much the first time because watching this for the first time all you can really do is act like a sponge and hope to absorb all of this because there's a lot to absorb but thinking about it this time and really like like auditing the the fight scenes of combat a little bit more and thinking about you know Michelle Yeoh is a certified martial arts star uh, Anita Mui and Maggie Chung both have occupied those types of roles in films without them like they are not martial arts like uh, aficionados or anything but like they they can perform the the I feel like basic kind of choreography and then I, in all the sequences of, of darkness, you know, the way that darkness kind of um, flows over a lot of these sequences because this movie is doing a very particular thing. You know, you can slide in stunt doubles and, and whatever, whatever else you want to do. And this movie was not so much like it's not it's not about the fighting. Um, it's about, you know, it's more about the spectacle and how those elements of spectacle make you feel whether they are polished or not. Like it is about how seeing those cables and harnesses make you feel and like, yeah, spinning motorcycle, uh, as much of a bummer as it is, does not exist in the real world, but like <laughs> the theater we were in had a very distinct reaction to that and sort of the culmination of those things into, um, the final act and getting into the, death and revival and death and revival and um the the super cuts they had leading into like the final moments of this movie so just good. like see see yeah like that that really hit me uh in a, like a, a way stronger way this uh upon rewatch this time um which isn't to say it didn't the first time around but um yeah i i think if if anything else what um with like johnny toe and and friends the what it it there's that again that lack of polish but there's also a, a lack of decision paralysis where like this movie with all of its parts i think is adding up to be yeah like i mean at this point I'm oh just man saying, like, hell what, yeah what no, we've all been saying totally to this right. point yeah just like it's becoming its very own distinct thing and like i i don't think we're having trouble kind of placing it in a in a box and saying like this is very hard to categorize because it's all of these sort of mismatched things but that's like we i don't know if we would want it in any other in any other way right so i don't know that's that's kind of what i'm and i mean not for nothing like Ex executioners the sequel is uh a, a it's a, a movie about it's these three same characters and they're in a war zone in this dystopian world it's like a 90 degree sharp 90 degree turn from where this movie is um but it's great because it's it's very over the top and it's very um like they go all in on on the sets and the production design and the stunts in the same way that this movie does um and again like even thinking back on my experience watching that a few years ago i never really felt like oh i johnny toe doesn't know what he's doing maggie chung doesn't know what kind of movie she's in i never really felt that with these movies and i, I love that amongst all this other instability or n not so much not instability but just all these the the a sensory overload um i i don't know i always feel like i've half my footing watching um maggie chung and i'm just gonna maggie chung maggie uh, manifesting queen of the trilon now is as best as i can uh justice for maggie chung go ahead harry i mean brother it's happening like come on we, i think we have we have an alliance here for the first time i think that the the we'll daphnis see. grossman alliance is finally going to be unseated um yeah i, don't I know mean what you're talking about mm -hmm. uh <laughs> let's see uh First of all, I think that like 
uh, bringing up Maggie Chung is actually really funny because I think that the way Irma Vep, which I, I guess um, spoilers for an upcoming episode potentially, uh, this epi- like understanding this movie and how this how Irma Vep sees Maggie Chung's role in this movie is actually kind of important to that movie. Like understanding that like Irma Vep is like a a movie about how like Maggie Chung understands her role almost painfully within like the greater machinations of filmmaking. <laughs> anyway, um, that's a really good point. Uh, I think that like the big thing that like, I think when we, when we started talking, um, I wanted to sort of like interrogate this idea that I had that like, I think that the kids pissing, right. Or the, the baby getting uh, smashed on the um, rebar and bleeding out and dying forever. They kind of work, right? Even though, Jason, you said that they're sort of bizarre. Mm. And like for me, that's kind of what this movie is all about. Is It's like, I dare you to tell me that any of this isn't working. Right. It's like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to show you the wires. I'm going to show you the sewer grate. I'm going to have Maggie Chung blow away um, an army of cannibalistic children and make sure I show you that the cannibalistic children are pissing themselves as they die. And you tell me that it's not working in the context of this movie. Uh, and I'll believe you if you can if you can tell me that. And god damn it i can't right it's like it works it's uh it reminds me unfortunately like cody you can go ahead and turn off your monitor but it reminds me a lot of yakuza right where it's just like if if you like if you apply hyper earnestness and like this unbelievable high-pitched emotional uh like if you stay at that pitch for the entire thing it's going to work and they'll actually sell it and it'll go over right um and I think a big part of that is the formalism on display here, right? It's like um, if you – Johnny Toe is like, is like saying that like if I actually like maintain this fever pitch throughout without sort of like uh, breaking my glance, without sort of like um, flinching, then I can actually get all of this over and – he's kind of trying to do with us what he does to the evil master at the end of the movie. Right. Which is like, like we had talked about, you guys said this about the supercut, right? Like the evil master is, is established in act one as this guy without emotions uh, or without relationships because they would make him weak. And then as his decrepit, burnt fleshy skeleton that has fused with Maggie Yo is falling from the highest building in Hong Kong, apparently, um, Maggio? I said I meant Michelle Yo. I'm sorry, Cody. It's he gave okay. me a glance. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, okay. uh, he is sort of like reading her mind and her feelings, and, and he's feeling everything that she feels for the doctor, her lover, and the heroic trio. And he's literally so overwhelmed by the power of love and friendship and redemption and self-determination that his head fucking blows up. And we yeah. get to see his, yeah, we yeah. get to see his brain blow up. And it's like, that's, that's what this entire movie had been ramping up towards. Right. So it's like, it's kind of like the perfect idea that like, Hey, like, I made you feel this way too. And I did it with all of this ridiculous shit. And isn't that something, right? Isn't it something that I got you to get to that point with this, all of this pomp and circumstance and formalism and ridiculousness. And it's like, it's exactly that. It's that the fact that death feels final important in this movie, because so often it, like the danger of it is treated as flip and, and ignore and like uh, sloughed off. Like, Everybody's going to do these incredibly ridiculous things, 
Maggie Chung is going to, sorry, Cody, she's going to tears of the kingdom her way into the gang's hideout by putting a rocket in a barrel and riding it in. And she's going to blow everybody's faces off who deserves it. And she's going to save all the kids and nobody's going to get hurt who doesn't deserve it. All that kind of stuff. Uh, and then when a doctor dies of toxins that are byproduct of his uh, research into invisibility, invisibility cloak, we're putting that away for a moment. Uh, then it's like, man, we're actually going to squeeze all of the melodrama out of this. We're going to have it like be an incredibly drawn out. We're going to see it coming. He's going to tell us it's coming. It's it's good. We're even going to like make fun of it in a moment in one of my favorite shots of the movie. And it's still going to be like kind of sad. And then at yeah, the end, he's so to- sexy and so sad. <laughs> and it, he does the sexy nosebleed where you just see the like the drops of uh-huh. blood fall on whatever he's looking at. And then later on, Michelle Yeoh like rubs the blood off of his face. <laughs> it's so good. It really, really is too much blood. But it's like, again, it's it's just what we've been saying about how it establishes this tone. It sort of builds its own thing. And then it uses those to like still play it the, the same kind of emotions that a mo- that another movie might try to um, elicit. You know, the the like the horror of I don't know about you guys. I was watching the movie, and when the um, child falls, and you sort of see blood dripping from the back of his head, and it zooms, it does this like gross zoom in on a piece of on a piece of metal or or nail or whatever that supposedly it's a like, rebar, yeah, stabbed into the baby's neck or had some vital place, and then it turns out that the baby's dead. Is like every minute of that was fairly uncomfortable it's, it's well yeah because also movie. it's like it's legitimately like what the fuck movie <laughs> yeah. like you can't do that shit like you, what you, kind of a movie is about like showing a baby getting violently killed in an accident and then like really playing out the devastating consequences of the fact that the that baby is dead, dead. i mean it's, it's like, again it's like it's like he saw john woo's hard boiled and he was like yeah but it's bullshit that the baby didn't die though the baby should have gotten blown <laughs> apart by explosives and uh, bullets. That's right. And like when I make my movie, that's what's going to happen, <laughs> right? I just I really like how it does that. Does that? Did anybody else feel like? And I, I feel like a rube. I wasn't like you know really in my feelings about it or anything, but I was caught off guard. But how by how much it was like amid all the other zaniness, goofiness, uh, sort of throwaway absurdity of the movie how it like these moments actually did like quote unquote work on me. If that's what they were trying to do, if they were trying to make me feel like this is uncomfortable, I want, I like, I care for the safety of this thing or I care for the well-being of this character. Um, then suddenly I do. And I did not see that building. I didn't see it happening, but once it was there, it was really there. Yeah. I'm very down with the occasional reminders we get in this movie, largely centered around children. Like very jokingly, I was, uh, you know, uh, not actually applauding in the trial on cinema in located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, when the kids were, uh, you know, a peeing their pants and then b exploded. Um, you know, I wasn't <laughs> literally cheering in my seat, but, uh, as in, in honor of that movie or in this movie uh capital g capital t going there um i was about if for any other reason more seriously to remind us that there are stakes uh and that there are consequences to our actions for as um whimsical as this movie can be as heartwarming as it can be as sort of zany and all over the place it can be having that sort of regrounding of because like when that when that scene happened, it was, I think it was Wonder Woman. Like we get like time with her. She like very great series of close-ups with Anita Mui as she's like tearfully looking at her, um, her, uh, shitty cop husband, uh, her, her dumb hubby cop. Yeah. Um, uh, 
heroic trio uh does not say a cab which is uh, uh unfortunate but um yeah i don't know like that none of that was and not that it would have necessarily been worse if um or we would have been worse off if that was like in a in a vacuum more so it's just like oh this baby's dead and now we're ramping back up into something that is totally completely different kind of like the um you know the obiashi um shout out that you had earlier harried like not that would have been worse but i think the ways in which those couple of moments were were leveraged and utilized um yeah, i don't know they they didn't feel like they didn't feel too out of place uh granted yeah like you could feel the entire room's mood shifting when those things did come up because it is that because as, especially when the the first time that um yeah when the baby gets uh st- you know impaled and then is subsequently dead you're still trying you're still like it's like halfway through the movie but you're still trying to get a read on it i feel like so especially if you haven't seen it before it's like oh man like now i really don't know what this movie is becoming but i I feel like that plays favorably i don't know if you feel the same way about that harry but that's i don't know hit me overall positively even if it was kind of yeah for sure well Especially because, again, like uh, Jason alluded to earlier, literally as a sort of side plot line, they introduced this sort of like Lazarus Pit style, like rejuvenation, um, like power where the scientist before he's dying, he's working on a uh, like a special thing that brings dead plants back to life. And like fully, I thought I was like, yeah, I've seen comic book movies. I know how this works. Death is never permanent. They're going to bring that baby back with the like the fucking like the scientist power uh, and all of that stuff. And then they just don't, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) But um, to your point, Cody, I think like, I really, I think that's really a good point because it's sort of like the the dare, and I I hate to keep um, composing it in that in those terms, but like I think that there's something so audacious about this movie, and something that's so sort of like conspicuously audacious, like Johnny Toe is daring you to like not get it, or like he's he's challenging himself in some ways, right? And it's like it. I think that like all of the scenes, even the scenes that that deal with abrupt tonal shifts, they work because they're all operating on a similar pitch, right? Which is just that like it's like the Wikipedia uh, meme joke about like I will never stop going in. <laughs> it's like I <laughs> I am still going in. Like like ask my friend if you think I'm not still going in, and then in parentheses I'm still going in. It's like even <laughs> even when the when the scene is like oh yeah, baby just died and Wonder Woman has to reconcile for the first time with the fact that she, a superheroine, has failed, right? She wasn't enough. Like, the way Johnny Toe is going to shoot that is like the most insane, like, over-the-top close-up shots and like this unbelievable swelling orchestral score. And it's just like, if I can maintain this fever pitch throughout... I can actually get get all of these emotions over and still communicate this coherent thing. And not only will these all of these sort of emotions not be flattened, they'll actually kind of be enhanced, right? So it's like this exaltation of like um of excess as a sort of end in and of itself and as something that enhances the product that it's trying to um get over in a really interesting way. And I just think that like it it, it almost like it makes an argument for scenes like that, right? Because it's like we need to understand the full breadth of what Johnny Toe is doing here with like all of the emotions that he's trying to capture within the context and scope of this universe in order to understand that like what he's really trying to do is is bigger than just something over the top it's about like it's about over the topness writ large I guess 
It really is. I, I love where we landed on like, you've got to see the full picture to be able to like know the impact of any smaller piece that like any moment needs the whole to be like understood and seen, you know, I, I really, I really enjoy where we've gotten with that. Um, the, uh, last thing, well, I guess we're running close to time. Uh, do we have any other like 10 plus minute talking points we want to get out of the way before we get to junk drawer where we're just sharing bullshit thoughts? I was going to, I was going to ask what, what kind of like action movie, uh, stuff, the uh, Johnny gets up to you guys really connected with, like what, what kinds of shots I can think of like a few specific, uh, uh, I don't know, kind of tropes or get, I guess, or like kind of techniques that he uses. Mm-hmm. I think that like uh, one I, that I like quite a bit is everybody in this film is just like constantly bleeding all over shit. They're dripping blood. Blood is dripping down swords. They're, they're dripping blood on like keyboards. And it's just like a very bloody film uh, in that manner. Men yeah. bleed, women bleed, a baby bleeds at a one point. A baby fucking um, bleeds. Yes. A lot. Quite, actually, the, the the bleeding aspect of the, the baby is like maybe the part that makes it the most unsettling is like... Oh, it's awful. There have been films with violence to children, but it's like they're in a house when it explodes, right? They, right? they could have um, absolutely shown like the baby's head falling apart in pieces and I would have been slightly oh, less okay. perturbed. If, maybe if it was over, if it was over like, quickly. <laughs> But it, it like lingers. It shows that like it shows the yes. bloody nail. It shows her holding him and him crying, and then her making it's it like all the way exactly to the hospital. It's like exactly the right combination crying. of uh, exploitative and subtle, right? Like it's like yes. it, it's like on the one hand we have the thing, right? We're like like if if a baby turned into the thing by just like fucking like turning into some kind of a monster, that would be that'd be one thing. On the other extreme, we have like M, right? Where like all of the violence that is done against children in that movie is like you see the the balloon float up and continue to float up, and it's like that's yeah. it's kind of both of those things at once in this perfect combination to make it as unsettling as possible. Where it's like oh you see some blood and then you see what caused that you don't actually see the impact or the violence itself and it's like there's something about that specific combination of things that makes it so upsetting yeah, <laughs> um, yeah the other uh oh real quick my other my other uh, uh staple that i really ended up enjoying here was uh, you can really tell that johnny toe loves projectiles and loves loves the shot of like a camera following a projectile that's like perfectly centered in the frame as it like travels through the air. He does that like seven or eight times. Um, knives, bullets. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything. I think a finger at one point. Well, that was, um, that was great. mine. That was a big one of mine as well, because, and like specifically that's what reminded me of kill bill so much. Right. Because like fucking, um, go, go the Japanese, uh, school girl with the like big, the mace like mace thing, thing. Yeah. flail. That's and, great. Like, every time it yes. flies through the air, like, Carantino makes sure to cut and we can hear the sound like the whooshing of the air and we just see the ball going and like that happens constantly in this movie right where it's just like the kinetic energy of things flying through the air is like very important to the action um, storytelling happening in this scene Um, Mm -hmm. I guess the only other one of mine that I mentioned before is I just like I think it's so important to the idea of this movie that like there are so many moments where it's actually impossible to follow coherently 
um, the action as it progresses from shot to shot. It's just sort of like we'll be in one place. It reminds me of uh, this is a weird reference, but like uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Only God Forgives. Where oh, like, right. oh right, like the first third of that movie, there are so many shots where it's just like one shot bears no relation whatsoever to the next. Where like you'll be in you'll be in like one part of the like um, little like whatever uh, dojo that they're in, and then the next shot will be for apparently no reason in a completely different room or a completely different part of the city. Uh, and that kind of reminded me of this where it's like in one shot, like Maggie Chung's leg will be up in the air. And in the next shot, we're just like looking at a different character doing a different thing. And it's just mm-hmm. sort of like, it's all about sort of like, you know, like we know that, you know, that you get it, you know? <laughs> and like, so we don't have to like spell it out for you. Yeah. Uh, instead, like the, the energy of the sequence often communicated literally just through cutting is what's really going on here and what's really important to pay attention to. Yeah. And I think it's funny you should say that because it was, it was almost exactly what I was going to say. Um, so like, thank you for taking the smart words out of my mouth, but like it, it, it makes me think the way that you put it makes me think what a genre, like what perfect genre to do that. You use the term unmoored before. And I think that like plays well to that mechanical thing you're talking about where shots might not connect with each other and all that stuff. But, uh, martial arts films in particular, you know, um, the various forms like Wing Chun, uh, and, and, and Wuxia and all the other styles that are sort of like exemplified here and there in this movie. Um, what a ripe place to do that in, because so much of it is like by like really great directorial standards and choreography standards, not great, like cutting before an impact or like not really letting you see the effect of it. I'm going to name drop again that um, every frame of painting video about Jackie Chan's movies because I was uh, thinking about it during this movie. And then Sky, me we too, movie, absolutely. Once we were done with the movie, she was like, I wonder what Jackie Chan would think about this movie because we were watching that video a few weeks ago and it reminded her of like, this is what actually, like, she enjoys knowing the science behind like a really great action scene directing and like what makes these motions really connect, what makes the impact felt. And it's like none of that is present in this movie. Everybody's literally just flying around. And I think that just, at a certain point your brain clicks and turns from this is like bad or poorly made and it turns into like this is material to the experience is this sort of floaty you are just above it all sort of in a mental state of excitement about what's happening just accept that the motorcycle is flipping and they're throwing the knives uh, accept that they're dancing on the streets of uh, hong kong maybe um and also like they're able to ju- you know they're jumping up to the bridge above it and just like crazy shit that's happening forget that like physical space exists and yet stare at the physical space sort of thing. It's this incredible two halves of your brain that are both firing at the same time in this movie. It's, it's insane. I would not have preferred watching it any other way, but it is like directly essential to that experience. I think. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, it's like an anti Jackie Chan movie. Right. And like, I think it's so interesting and essential that like he cast Michelle Yeoh who like, except for Jackie Chan, I would consider like, maybe the best on-screen martial artist who ever lived. Like, she's definitely in the conversation. And then it was just like, yeah, but you're not going to be able to see any of the shit she's doing, (laughs) motherfucker. Like, fuck you, you know? And it's like, it is like, it's the opposite end of that spectrum where it's like, that's why I said, like, it's almost like a Marvel piss take, right? Because it's like, what if, like, you, you did what a Marvel fight scene looks like, but you did it on purpose to make fun of that? it would look a lot like these fight scenes, right? And it's sort of like, that's the point. Like Johnny Toe is like, hey, like, yes, like we have sort of like, we have taken great pains to be, to establish a sort of coherence of form, of storyboarding, of choreography, of cinematography in like previous wuxia movies 
because that's what people want to see, right? They want to see the blows. They want to see the Jackie Chan-ness of it all. What if I went as far in the opposite direction as humanly possible? Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that also elicit some kind of interesting effect on the emotions of the viewer and the storytelling I was, I was capable of doing? And like, I think he's pretty successful in this instance, right? Like, I think that mm-hmm. he makes a pretty good case for it. I also, to answer directly your prompt, Aaron, about like tropes and action shit that just works in this movie, Gunfu. I think that Maggie Chung's like oh, use, yes. use of the stubby, and then later, Absolutely. later when she's underground and she's just got, I think it's like an M4 or something, like a straight up like military issue machine a gun. Fu actions, kind of oh. like doing like a gun kata thing. But yeah, it like, rocks. Well, yes. and also, like, it does the fantastic fucking video game shit where it's like, actually, guns are worse than, like, swords and stuff. It does like, not kill anybody with those things. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just like, at a certain level of martial arts, guns are actually worse than what else you there could is, use. There is no kung fu for guns. You know, you don't get better at it. It's not your style of anything. It's just point and shoot. <laughs> and therefore, it's a lesser form of combat. I, I, I agree. I, I naturally agree. Uh, but that just looks, it just looks so fucking cool. I'm not sure if it was Maggie Chung doing the flipping around in those scenes, but like specifically when they're underground fighting the various henchmen of the big bad guy. And, and she's like doing these kicks and spins and flips yeah. and just the guns or, uh, going off and the sound effects are it's, it's just very thrilling. That first scene um, with Thief Catcher, which is like maybe the best scene in the movie, in my opinion, um, when she breaks up that like chemical factory heist, where like, and this is a <laughs> this is a specific shot that's referenced in Irma Vep, I believe, but like she does this thing where somebody tries to shoot at her and she like spins 360 degrees or 720 degrees while like going down on one knee so that she can point her shotgun up so that she can shoot a guy, and it's just like it looks so fucking rad, dude. Like she looks Always so does. good. It's so sick. Love that shit. Uh, okay, that is where I will uh, open up the junk drawer for our final thoughts about the movie. Um, my only thought is uh, the 40s and 50s style cars and like world versus like the 80s and 90s computer tech. Really fun comparison there. It gave me the huge Raimi vibes again. Uh, and it's not really explained why everybody drives cars, for, except cops, drives cars from the 50s and 60s. Maybe it's just because every car in this part of Hong Kong is old at that time and the movie was released in 93 i don't know but it was a fun visual uh cue i think of like this is the kind of world they're building another batman burton type deal uh cody what sort of stuck out to you as little junk drawer one-off thoughts yeah uh not not anything new from that or not anything additional that i want to bring forth from the screening that we experienced yesterday but i, I as i was sharing with you jason uh prior to the other fellows jumping on this probably being one of my favorite pickups. Uh, this, this is from, I, you can't see it. Uh, dear listener listeners, yeah, maybe just, at? maybe just the one listener. So this is, uh, so I guess like context, uh, I, I like physical media and, uh, I also, uh, furthermore, I liked physical media of movies, especially a lot when I had nothing else to, to grab onto during the, the early dog days of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I think it was around roughly around the time when like COVID became a thing, found out, oh, wow, there are multiple movies where Michelle Yeoh, Anita Mui, and Maggie Chung are uh, half naked and involved in like very highly stylized, visually uh, sensational adventures. Why am I not watching these movies all the time? Uh, and then lo and behold, they, you know, they weren't streaming anywhere. Obviously now they are, if you have access to the criterion channel, at least the heroic trio is on there. Um, can't remember if executioners is, it should be, um, restorations are in the works, uh, will continue to manifest that into existence. But this, um, what I'm holding up to my webcam, it's a, a two pack 
uh, Heroic Trio and Executioners, the main language on this on this box art uh, and in the DVD menus proper. Um, the main language is Thai. Thankfully, there are English subtitles. In the bottom right-hand corner, it says this costs a 299 baht, which Google tells me is 885 in US dollar <laughs> currency. Not a bad deal. Uh, it's yeah, honestly, a great pretty, deal, pretty really. Deal. Can't yeah. afford not to. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is just DVD, though. You know, it's not on um, Blu-ray quality, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, getting this in the mail when I had very little else to look forward to in life was was very such a very excellent feeling. These both of these movies are extremely fun. Um so shout out to commerce, I guess. That's <laughs> my joke thought is exchanging money for goods and services. Capitalism is okay when it makes me happy, actually. <laughs> really popped off with this one, fellas. Uh Aaron, Harry, any junk or thoughts before we uh, move to our final segment? Second I mean not segment. not to be outdone, right? Like I think uh Cody was very briefly horny. I would just say that Maggie Chung wears stockings throughout this movie, and it got me barking like a dog in the at the at Trilon. So uh, you can check it out for that reason, I guess, if if you feel like it. Uh, that's a shout out for me. Thank this you. Yeah, I was very concerned that I wouldn't be outdone, so thank you for that, Harry. <laughs> this is the least impassioned horny I've ever heard. Harry He's just resigned. I just like- resigned. You know, it's <laughs> it's just like I know who I am. I know what this is. <laughs> Aaron, are you are you uh, resigned, horny, or excited, horny I, about? I, oh, uh, <clears throat> one more thing. Shout out to Domino Masks. I know that like there's something. I I don't think this was intentional, but like I found it so funny that like there's this scene where um, Anita Mui's husband finds out that she's Wonder Woman, and he's like, "Oh, like how did you how did you know?" She says, and he's like, "Well, it was because you you couldn't go back inside when I had my hand on the landmine." And I, I was like, "It wasn't because like." That mask covers literally none of Anita <laughs> Mui's face. It There's like literally her like features. yeah, her, literally it's like on her cheekbones only and like there's like a three inch gap on either side where you can see like her full eyes and so like nobody who knew that woman would be fooled for any moment about that mask. I mean, that's not just a heroic trio thing, but like I it worked really well in the context of this movie, just sort of like pointing out how ridiculous little masks like that are, where it just be like, Oh yeah, that's my friend, Bruce Wayne, who I see every day. Right. <laughs> where it, where it's like, I can totally uh, like realize that's him because I know what his jawline looks like. Or like, I know that Dick Grayson's face is that face and like putting a little domino mask over. It doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> I don't, I don't like the masks. I don't like I whenever I see them in films I have like a visceral reaction hate them hate them with superheroes they 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 were for like a number of years they were like the mask that you had your superhero wear and like kind of like a revisionist superhero movie you know what I mean like super does he was he wearing one of those in super like basically I think he's wearing you know a full I mean? helmet thing yeah Probably. yeah uh, well never mind then but yeah, no, I, the, I, don't, I don't like I agree with that they make me upset for some reason I can't explain what it is no, the, the it's only not good, like the logical thing they just look so gross I hate them there are only not, two good superhero <laughs> masks and one is Spider-Man where it, like it fits over his entire face and it's like how could he yeah. possibly see but like that's good yep. and then also if you actually like for thematic reasons play with the logistics of the mask like they did in the Robert Pattinson Batman where it's like sure. oh yeah he had to put on a ton of eyeliner before he went out and like they actually like show that afterwards and it's like oh that's actually kind of a cool important thing about his character is that like my man is listening to the cure and putting on black eyeliner 
Terminator before he goes out to punish criminals in the night, right? It's like, th- those are the two ways that masks are good. Otherwise, I agree. I think they're kind of silly. No, but this is good, though. Little masks, high school movies, filling out the list of, uh, of Aaron's aversions. Things that Aaron, Aaron's aversions, yes. Ooh, yeah, so okay. you can add that to the list. That's yeah. pretty good. 2024, the year. So, Aaron's like, version. Persona 5 was just, like, the perfect... Uh, like intersection of <laughs> horror for you. It's a, a movie or a, a game about high school students who rip little masks off their faces in order to fight. I just I just played the day like the daytime segments. Sure, yeah, game. you skipped all the yeah. rest of it. It was just was a like, dating mm, simulator for just you. The, yes, sure. just the weekend days exclusively. Really, no, not even the dating. Just going to class. It's cool. just like yeah, finally, yeah. I'm in my element. <laughs> I love it. Oh, very good, very good. Uh, we have uh, two more segments here. Uh, one is good grief, man. Give me a gif. We have uh, just a quick summary uh, roundup of the gifts we'd like to see if they go out with the episode on Twitter. Um, Cody, did you have any shots that really stuck out in your noties for this? Did I every fucking shot in this movie? Like you joked when maybe somebody will say it and apologies, but the finger eating when you leaned over and said, that's, that's the gift. That was big. Uh, but, yeah. But then like 80 other candidates, uh, came through just like two really quick ones. They're, they're the three of them doing a slow-mo walk toward the camera. in one of the final kind of scenes of the movie, it's like hard not to, it, there, there's so many, or rather so few shots that are like where you can see everything but specifically that you can see all three of them together and so it'd be i'd be remiss to not shout out a shot where uh, you can see all of them uh in in clear you know ambient light the other one though and shout out to whoever cuts together the trilon uh trailers for the segments they i mean maybe the the perfect one it was already shouted out maggie chung's character's introduction introductory scene but specifically when she very confidently uh, lights a thing of dynamite, shoves it in a barrel, and like gets ready for takeoff. But even she is like taken aback by how like how quickly it blasts her off, and then it just whoop off she goes into the sky. So good. really, really great. <laughs> that stuff was a hundred percent mine as well. But I think uh, you're, I think you're right, Cody. Like that, that is literally how the luminescent and dangerous trailer that the Trilon cut together ends. Um, it's a fucking fantastic shot. Um, I would just follow up. I, I really like legitimately i think it would be hilarious to do all the gross shit like i want to see the kids pissing jiff i'm sorry i want to see the like the blood spurting out of the back of the baby's neck is so funny to me and so horrible uh let's see um there's a really funny sequence where um like uh the the doctor is dying and going through like a scientific eureka at the same time so he just like he looks as like dogged as possible but he's also like leaned over his fucking like uh keyboard and like papers are just flying all around him and it's like the ultimate mad scientist thing um i thought that was really funny um oh yeah <laughs> yeah cody uh you shout that out oh the it's, sorry one of my yeah like millions of um uh, th- when the doctor on the brink of death slowly types onto the keyboard, "Don't cry," because for for whatever reason he can't talk, and then the camera the camera crashes him in rather on the computer screen that says "Don't cry." Uh, um, it's really, I was compelled to tears internally. Also, uh, this is probably something that was just an effect of the um, version we watched, but because of the movie that this is, it, it ended up enhancing the experience quite a bit. Um, 
the subtitles were often wildly out of sync with like what was actually happening on screen. Um, for instance, like the don't cry was, was true. Like the, the subtitles helpfully spelled out don't cry in English as the computer screen in English said, don't cry. At one point, uh, Maggie Chung's character shouts happy new year as she's throwing dynamite down into the sewer and our subtitles say, you can all go to hell, which I thought was really, really funny. Um, so another really great, it's, it's almost like that would work perfectly as a joke about like Godzilla subtitling or whatever but yeah. I don't even know if it was intentional this time around there's it's not one of my shots y'all both took my shots wonderfully and I'm glad you did the uh cow eating his own finger and uh and the don't cry both both my choices um there was a very funny I'm assuming it wouldn't happen in every translation but a very funny instance of I believe it's when Michelle Yeoh sits down at her at the doctor's computer and it, the, just the word copy appears on the screen and the subtitles show the word duplicate <laughs> duplicate it's so good dude it's so fucking funny <laughs> it was really funny everybody had a good laugh at that one in the in the theater uh aaron anything you actually liked seeing in this movie that wasn't uh gross. we haven't established rules for this for this bit for this oh, segment okay, so okay. I, I will test the waters and say that i would like to use my answer here to negate harry's answer of the kids pissing <laughs> i would say i would like to cancel it out so that that neither myself nor Harry get a response to this one. Do not put that shit on my TV. Wow. I don't want to see it. I do not want to see that posted with my at next to it. Do not. I will beat your ass next time I'm in town. I swear to God. Sort of don't a from it. hell's heart I stab at the moment. It's like as, as long exactly as I, right. as long as you die, I don't care if I also die. Sort of mutually right. assured destruction. I respect it. I don't agree yes. with it, but I do respect Can it. Can I? All right. Can I just say that your choice was just don't do the pissing kids. Say my choice was canceling out Harry's. Yes. <laughs> that's that's ah, wonderful. Yep. Can't wait. Uh, that was good grief. Give me a gift. We have final uh, one final segment to the show. I need Harry's help to bring it in. I would love to, Jason. The final segment is the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you for that, gentlemen. That introduction was almost as hot as the Heroic Trio's ensemble cast. And by almost, I mean not even close, because we're dealing with the Heroic Trio here, baby. Um, But valiant attempt. Uh, Can't not let me have one more um, horn dog moment going into into my segment, uh, which... Speaking of which, today we're going to have a little bit of fun with the filmography of Johnny Toe through a little something I like to call Toe Love. Ooh, I like this segment. Yeah. Hey, well, stay tuned. Maybe you won't. No, I think it's. I think it's pretty safe. Uh, Very fun vibes today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had I had one seltzer and one coffee, so my energy is a little uh, of a certain way. So we're just going to see what happens. Coffee and seltzer. Don't step to me. (laughs) Um. Uh, the, I have no response other than to say Johnny Toe has had a very colorful career, and this is reflected in part through the names of his movies. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to address one of you at a time, each of you one at a, at a time, in alphabetical by first name order, starting with Aaron. I will read that person the title of a movie. That person will then make the determination of whether the movie title I've read is the name of an actual real film in Johnny Toe's filmography or a made-up title that I spun up from a random movie title generator. Not AI, as far as I know, just a classic, classic, innocent, non-AI things. This is an anti-AI podcast, probably. Um, 
don't read the fine print Firmly. too hard. Jason and um, I are closely. like two two years out from losing our jobs to it generously. So yeah, we're pretty anti-AI, I would imagine. Maybe Aaron's pro. He's coding, so he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. I have actually been entirely replaced by an AI chatbot. You guys have not noticed so far, but for oh, the last no. six episodes... Yep. Yeah, it's, it's just Chat like, GPT. Oh, oh, this is, this oh. is why I saw a lot of oh. merit and value in your uh, points in the discussion this time. Thank you. you. You do see a lot of merit. I appreciate that very much, Jason. <laughs> Five of the eight words that Harry used in an AI impression of Aaron were grunts. <laughs> Non-discernible syllables. Um, well, I am very excited for today's noties. Um, that's uh, AI Cody. Uh, so anyways, you're going to make that determination. I will then give the correct answer and proceed to the next person with a different title. Uh, each person, you know, that title is yours. You make that determination and then the next person gets a completely different title. Uh, we'll continue on one title at a time. Everybody will have three opportunities to get points. Uh, you get three titles apiece whenever, uh, whenever someone categorizes a title correctly, they'll get a point. And the person with the most points at the end will win as always trivia mafia rules apply here so use your noodles not your googles with that let's go ahead and jump in aaron as i said we're starting with you this is your title whispers of the east whispers of the east is that a real johnny toe title or is it from the old generator i'm gonna say that's real aaron is gonna say that it's real and survey says it is from our trusty movie title generator. Apologies. Uh, no point. No point for Aaron. Little Harry racist movie generator. Gotta Harry, say. Say, Harry says owned, uh, but we'll see who is about to get owned. As we pivot to Harry with his first title, Harry, your title is Woman with Determination. Woman with Determination. Is that a real title or is that from the generator? I'm pretty sure that's real. Harry says he's pretty sure it's real, uh, but unfortunately, Harry is owned because that is from the old generator, the old movie title. Now, women with determination, women with determination, real. Woman with determination, not real. Women only have determination in in packs, (laughs) in (laughs) in gangs, coteries. (laughs) Sure, they're like wolves in that way. That's right. Don't step to me, Jason. You're next. Uh, Your title is. Memory of the Youth. Memory of the Youth. Is that a real title or is it fake? I'm just going to guess a real one. Jason says it's real. Uh, and he's correct. Uh, Johnny Toe uh, co-produced or produced that movie uh, in 2003. It is, wow. it, is a real, it is a real deal title. So that's after round one of three. We got Jason on the board with a point. Aaron and Harry yet to get on the board. Still very much anybody's game. We'll see what happens. I can't believe we haven't mentioned Seijin Suzuki, by the way. Memories of the Youth Pretty reminded well. me of, um, what is it, Youth of the Beast? And mm. uh, that reminded me that this movie feels a lot like a Seijin Suzuki movie. Sorry, that's all I got. No, that's good. Uh, now streaming on the Criterion channel, I think they have a theme. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, also, they're just always streaming his movies because they have the rights uh, almost exclusively to his work. So yeah, shout out to him. Shout out to Aaron, whose turn it is. Aaron, your title is The Royal Scoundrel. The Royal Scoundrel. Is that a real deal title or is it from The Generator? You couldn't have just give me Drug War? You had to fucking <laughs> do this. <laughs> the- um, I'm going to say that's real. 
Aaron is going to say it's real. And in 1991, it was real. Johnny Toe directed it. That is a real deal title. Thanks. Aaron gets on the board. I like that and- idea. It's like, Aaron, your, uh, is, your movie is The Raid the Redemption. Trio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Next, Harry, your title, Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, uh, Harry, your title, Life After the Samurai. Life After the Samurai. Is that a real title or a fake one? Oh, man, I feel like I'm going to put my foot in my mouth again, but I'm going to go fake this time. Harry is going fake. It is indeed a fake title from The Generator. Uh, he sidestepped that one with with prowess. He got the point. Everybody is tied up at one Samurai guess. are Japanese. Johnny That's Toe right. is not. I, that was on my bingo card for you vocalizing your thought process and determining whether or not I would throw you a curveball, and I did with that <laughs> question. Um, and I have a bingo a couple times over, but that's why we're here to get China, bingos. Japan have a, an intense uh, uh, relationship uh, over the course of history that may true. involve samurais every once in a while. Yeah, huge of true. In, the generator told me that. Is, intense is one word for their relationship with true. one another. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, you know what else is uh, intense? Maybe, arguably, more so is uh, this this race we've got to win uh, to win Tola. Jason, we're back to you. Your title is as follows: Gangsters and Turtles. I'm gonna say real. Gangst- I want it to be real. It's real. Jason is going real. As much as I want it to be real, it is not. Uh. That is a fake title from the generator. <laughs> uh, somebody ought to make Gangsters and, and Turtles. Johnny Toe could still make that movie. Who, who uh, plays if the he turtle? To. Who plays the turtle uh, in Gangsters and Turtle? Dana Carvey. Um, <laughs> I was also going to say Dana Carvey. It's just right there. It's too easy. <laughs> yeah, it is. That is. A little, I don't know. anybody got a anybody got a better actual? Have we ever uh, talked turtle? on the podcast about the fact that Dana Carvey wearing the Turtle Man costume during nine eleven and when he was informed that nine eleven was happening is real? That was confirmed. Enough, I don't think that's come up yet. Like last but, year, Dana Carvey in an interview was. He, like, yeah, that was true. I had just finished filming the Turtle Club scene where I dress up like a turtle, and the director came up to me, and he was just like, yeah, uh, somebody destroyed the World Trade Center. What What uh, context are you imagining us have bringing that up on this podcast? Exactly. Uh, we talk about 9-11 talk about every so other episode, man. Shit. I don't know. Uh, sure. I, I, w- I will say a quick plug for friend of the show. Not guest yet. Friend of the show, Leo Vader, actually has a video all about this where he does a pretty deep dive look into it. Uh, check him out. He's, he's pretty cool. Yeah. Let's yeah, get him get him on the pod uh for next week when we're talking about Master of Disguise. Uh that it should be a fun one. Um Don't but really. yeah, but uh, oh yeah. Oh shit, I said the title of next week's episode is that going to get I'm locking bleep? you up, Cody. Oh boy. Well, hey, ooh, sound effects. Um what's it called? The uh oh god, I this coffee seltzer brain. What uh when you make real life noise that's full emulate fully work thank you fully work jason stamping on on boards in his in his bedroom we're going on to the final round of this game uh i'm, I'm filling time because this uh, only three rounds it's shorter than most of the other noties um but what we have in front of us is our last opportunity to get points everybody's tied up one point apiece so this is really it's a dire, dire situation here aaron you're up first your title is the enigmatic case the enigmatic case is that a real title uh, in Johnny Toe's filmography, or is it from the generator? I, I literally had looked at like a list of his films, bef- like not like 
two so, hours ago. So you feel like the, maybe thirty percent yeah. ready to answer this? Or I mean, is the, the problem is that he's made a shocking 0%. number of of movies. Shocking he's made a lot of movies. A lot of plus movies like this. Uh, I'm going to say that's fake. All right, Aaron is locking in fake as I'm etching it onto a concrete slab. Come on. And it will remain on that mountain as an incorrect guess because it is Ooh. real. His directorial debut from the year of uh, our Lord 1980. To remake a Stray yeah. Dog, actually. <laughs> Kurosawa's Stray Dog, the animatic case. Sorry, I'm, I'm late, mm-hmm. but uh, now he's taking a guess. Now he's etching his slab and she's uh, having smoke and she's calling a cab. I, I meant to pull that out a minute ago, but my mic wasn't on. Okay. Um, and my stomach is sick as we pivot <laughs> to Harry's final guess. Uh, Harry, your title is Yesterday Once More. Yesterday Once More. Is that a real deal title in the Toe filmography or not? I'm going with real, Cody. Harry is going with real. Um, locking it in, Reach. Dun, dun, dun. And he directed and produced that movie in the year 2004, Yesterday Once More. That's a great title. Oh, Jason, Yesterday Once to... More. You want Jason right. to try and swing this? You're, you're putting yes. me in his pinch hitter? What Do the it, fuck Jason. is wrong with you? All right. As we pivot to Jason, the, his final guess and the final guess of the game, here's what's at stake, dear listener, uh, for those keeping track at home. Uh, we've got Harry with two points, no further guesses. Aaron with one point, no further guesses. Jason has one point. He has one final guess to go. If he gets it right, he ties for the lead. If he gets it wrong, Harry has sole lead and is the sole winner of this game. Jason, your title is... Gangsters and Turtles 2. No, Jason, your title is Angels of the Night. Angels of the Night. Is that a real deal entry in the Toe filmography, or is it fake? I'm going to say it's a fake fake snake. Not a real deal, but a fake snake. It is. So Jason is going with fake snake. And it is one fake snake, folks. Uh, so final, final scores, standings, uh, Aaron on the board with a point, Harry and Jason with two points apiece. They share the pop-off platform. We'll see how that shakes out. I'll just say thank you. This has been Toe Love. Thank you for your participation. Have at it, gents. Harry, there's probably a great, um, like the genesis of a great, uh, you know, three kingdoms type thing between us. Right there's pro- there's probably uh, room for for compromise and, and like and and a partnership here, right? You mean like when Wu and Shu teamed up to defeat Wei by chaining their boats together and then setting them on fire and coordinating the winds during the battle that I can't remember exactly Is that like real? that. That yeah. actually happened. Well, no, none of the well. <laughs> Can you clarify it's the source complicated. material for this? Roma- the Romance of the Three Kingdoms is it's like... like the Bible. Yeah, you know. it's a romanticized oh, uh, It's kind of a video game. I'll go ahead and turn my camera There's off. A, there, there are several video games based on the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Most recently, Wulong, uh, Cody, which I started playing and then almost immediately dropped because Resident Evil 4 came out. Uh, yeah, that and I'm not, sure. not returned to, but I would really like to play that again. Um, I would love to be the woo to your shoe. Here we Jason. go. Uh, it's, it's the start of something. Um, we have a, a united front against uh, against Aaron. Uh, maybe in the next couple episodes, we'll see they get that play out. As Probably long as not, it lasts until Golden Berries, because I've been feeling it the last couple of years, and I could use allies. <laughs> My ass. But, but that's when they. Trapped. That's when they betray you. That's when they stab you in the back. It, it is the richest time. It's happened for to me so many yeah. times. I mean, like, what's one more? You know, my back is so full of daggers already. 
It's just a series of white scars. It's just a pincushion. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Cody, for ending our episodes on a lighthearted, fun note, as always. Uh, I'm glad Aaron finally, he just didn't say a single word about losing this round. He's always so rich with uh, with, with quips and stuff. It's I've fine. lost his respect. It's, it's respect. fine. One love, he yeah, says. He's doing, oh, he's got his Rasta outfit. Oh, he's, he's he's really committing to the bit. It's it's important. Why didn't he go off camera for this one? Oh my God, he's got a gun. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, check us out at Try Love Podcast on Twitter. Um, you can find this movie at the Trilon, uh, following uh, with Irma Vep and um, OG. I should have kept my tab open. I did have it open. I promised to God I had the tab open uh, for the Trilon's series about Maggie Chung. Um, it's called Luminescent and Dangerous. Luminescent and Dangerous is the name Iceman of the Cometh. series. The, um, Iceman also Cometh on the docket. Irma Vep. Please check those out of the trial. The Iceman Cometh, it must be said, is such a fucking hilarious name for a movie about people who are frozen in time and then like unthawed in the 21st century. Unbelievably good shit. Cannot wait to see that movie. Big, uh, big yesterday once more vibes on that title. Um, You check it out. It's like like if you made a movie called Death of a Salesman that was about like assassinating a salesman. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, don't give our listeners any ideas. Uh, we have uh, more episodes probably in this series forthcoming. Uh, keep your ears tuned to this feed. Keep your eyes trained to Trilon.org for tickets and showings and announcements and cool stuff happening in the rest of the year. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Trilon Podcast. Check me out, if you wish, on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Yeah, check him out. If I've taken anything from this uh, conversation today, it's that I, I, it sounds like I got to see Darkman. It's been on my watch list for a little bit. I've been waiting for it to, to get on streaming. May just have to, to cough up a couple of bucks to, uh, to some, I don't know, corporate, corporate overlord that's yeah. hoarding the, the hard drive. Um, if it's in high definition, I'll only complain a little bit. Uh, but I'll, I'll figure that out in due time. Uh, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've only seen one scene of Dark Man, and it's the scene at the carnival when yeah. He succumbs to his dark manness, uh, <laughs> and based on that, that's a five star film. So I will absolutely be checking it out soon. <laughs> I've been Harry Mack, and you can see me on Twitter at Chitaki Harry. You can follow me on Twitter. You probably won't see me. Just, I don't know that I've ever posted a picture of myself. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, my name's Aaron. If you do want to see pictures of Harry, I post uh, uh, pictures of, of Harry uh, from outside of his apartment at like two a.m. Uh, on random weeknights. Uh, you can find those on my Twitter at RBPlease. It's actually really boring. I'm just playing Civilization Five in every single one of them, or well, Civilization Six. excuse right. me. Now, now choose the kingdom, but yeah. Stay awake. There's more fun to come. Isn't it fun? <laughs> <laughs>